What's up, everyone? This is episode number 99 of the Wax Museum Podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, we are 10 months into a global pandemic. A third economic stimulus package looms on the horizon. This one for $1,400. And if it goes through, some people will choose to use this money for rent or groceries. Some might use it to pay off school loans. Maybe you've got a home improvement project you're thinking about. Or if you're lucky, you could go to Blowout Cards and pre-order yourself a nice box, not a case, but a box of 2020-21 Donruss. Strap in, because 2021 has only just begun. Um, All joking aside, I hope you're doing well. I'm excited about today's show. I'm going to flip the order on you a little bit. My plan is to talk about NBA Top Shot. I'm going to address the recent Donruss pricing situation, and then I'm going to use the main segment to talk about a couple weeks worth of mail that I've accumulated. Um, Truth be told, the first two segments probably aggravated me enough that I wanted to end things on a happy note today, but I'm looking forward to it. So let's get started with the hobby headlines, and um, I don't have a lot to say about it, but I received one piece of news an hour or two before I was set to record And that is that Nat Turner's group has increased its offer for Collector's Universe. Um, So the new quote-unquote best and final offer is $92 um, per share in cash. And some of you might recall the conversation that I had with Bamsey on episode 93 about the potential sale. I'd have to listen back, but I think we both had heard that the initial offer was a little low, although I don't blame anyone for trying that. I saw a quote from a board member today that claims this new offer recognizes the momentum in the business, and I agree with that. I think this new price is more in line with what it should be. There are still some loose ends that need to be tied up, but it will be nice if we can see this thing finalized, and we can maybe even begin a new era in grading. Okay, the next thing I'm going to talk about is something I didn't plan to talk about. Um, You've probably seen it talked about on social media It's a new program called NBA Top Shot. Well, actually, it's not brand new, but it's become a lot more popular in the last week. And like I said, I wasn't going to talk about this, but people in the hobby kept asking me about it. And um, first off, I'm I'm honored that people value, you know, my thoughts and my opinions, but um, they kept asking me about this. My original response was, this is a show about cards and these are not cards. And people said, yeah, but they come in packs. Well, you know, in that case, I should be giving updates on the My Team mode on NBA 2K. And those packs, the diamond, did you get a new diamond card this week, right? Um, Anyway, you know, I'm not going to concede to the idea that these are cards. And and don't get me wrong, not everyone, you know, that is into this is even saying that. But I will talk about them for a short bit. And obviously, I'm coming at this from the angle of a collector. So, If you listen to this show on a regular basis, I think my response is fairly predictable. So please keep that in mind. People are asking me as a collector to weigh in on something that's being labeled a next level NBA collectible. So, you know, what does that even mean? What is Top Shot? And I'm not an expert on this, but I did quite a bit of reading from a number of sources before this segment. 
I also wanted to be sure to get the information straight from the source itself, so I went to nbatopshot.com, and the site says, NBA Top Shot is an application that provides users with the opportunity to purchase, collect, and showcase digital blockchain collectibles containing exclusive content from the NBA and its current and former players. Okay, so the way I understand it, um, these moments that you can get in packs are like little video clips. Um, They're serial numbered like cards, and there's blockchain record of ownership. So the blockchain part is actually pretty cool. It's not like the Panini blockchain. It, It functions like a blockchain actually should. Um, but you get these moments either from digital packs or you can buy them from the marketplace. Although it seems like the marketplace has had a lot of technical issues lately, which in a weird way could add to the frenzy when it actually works. It could um, cause an increase in buying maybe. But um, when I first jumped on the site, I was greeted by a $2 video clip moment of Davis Bertans hitting a three. You know, exhilarating, right? Um, and it was numbered to 3,999. You know, obviously I'm cherry picking one, but that literally was the first one that showed up when I logged onto the site. So um, there's nothing physical attached to them. You can collect sets, you can sell them, you can trade them, you can earn digital rewards. Um, I'm sure there are some people that are really into the whole platform from a collectible standpoint, but it shouldn't be surprising that there are also a lot of people in this thing for the quick buck. And, you know, I have a collector friend that joined. I'm not going to name him, but I thought, oh, you know, this is perfect because I wanted to get a collector's perspective on the whole thing. So I asked him about it and he said, I'm not doing this long term, but 100% taking advantage of this weird little trend. Um, In the same vein, another poster on the blowout forum said, I don't understand also, but not understanding and making money is better than understanding and not making money. I thought that was kind of interesting. And those are just two responses, just two perspectives. But if you're part of this and you want to see it pan out, you just know a lot of people are taking the same approach. And if we end up with more sellers than buyers, that could be a major problem. I'm not trying to scare anyone here. In fact, I'm trying to look out for people. I think everyone needs to be cautious. And I've also seen a very aggressive push on social media and the blowout forums. There are several people on there as well to get this thing moving. Um, Now, some of that just includes uh, basic ads. So it's nothing, you know, nothing illegal, but I'm noticing it's showing up a lot on my feeds, whatever, you know, whatever I'm searching it, that ad is targeting me Uh, and they're entitled to do that, but it's not all just paid ads. So I was having a nice, peaceful conversation about the program with someone on Twitter, someone I respect, um, that really seems to enjoy the program, you know, to each his own. Uh, When all of a sudden, though, someone that I don't follow and someone I've never even seen before chimed in, and he said, when 5,000 people who aren't you own this and you really want it and have to pay to get one for yourself, you start to understand, end quote. And then this was followed by a link to a Derrick Jones Jr. block moment that was numbered to 5,000. Man, I'm missing out on that Derek Jones block, right? Derek Jones FOMO. You know, if you really want to make this whole thing palatable to me, that's the wrong approach entirely. You want more rare clips for your site? 
Do you have one of Derek Jones Jr. shooting, you know, above 30% from the three? That's a clip that would be worth paying for because I'm pretty sure it doesn't exist. The Heat didn't want to pay for him. I don't either. Um, so then I go and I look at this guy's bio, and, and this is the guy that was pushing this FOMO stuff for Derek Jones. And sure enough, he works for the team that helped develop Top Shot. <laughs> Get out of here, right? Um, anyway, several people asked me to weigh in on this. There are people that like digital marketplaces. I am not one of them. This isn't for me. Uh, maybe I'm just being overcautious, but I don't want to see a lot of collectors get burned. I'm not telling you what to do, though. I encourage you to check it out on your own. We all have different interests. We all have different things we like. You might love this platform. Okay. People ask me about it, though. I don't. Um, okay. I've got a weigh in on this whole Donruss pricing situation from this week that I alluded to in my intro. Before I dive in, I want to talk real quick about the brand's history and also my history with the brand. So last week, I chatted with Dan about basketball and baseball sets from the 90s. One baseball set that had no basketball equivalent came from the Select brand. And another set that was around that time was Donruss. In fact, in the early to mid-90s, you could still find 1990 Donruss baseball rack packs at the big lots that my parents shopped at. So I ended up with a lot of those over the years. Um, just a side note, that was kind of the basis for the 2016 Donruss and 2016 Optic design. So that was kind of cool. But uh, the point being, the Donruss brand predates basketball. And um, I've talked about this before, but Panini bought Donruss in March of 2009 that became their Panini America division. Um, there was a Donruss Elite basketball set for the 09-2010 uh, season, but Donruss as a standalone basketball set didn't exist until 2010. And um, that set came out shortly after I jumped back into the basketball card game, and I loved it. And I still think it's a great set. Um, there was no border on the base cards. They featured in-game shots for the veterans. They were very glossy. Um, to me, it had a very premium feel for a base set. And I ended up buying a lot of blasters of these because um, first off, every time I went to the store, they were there. They were available. And then also I was using them to get in-person autographs when I lived in Charlotte. Um, now, the actual Donruss base set disappeared for a few years after that. And um, I felt like that 2012 to 2014 range was Panini's best run so far. And that was, unfortunately, when we didn't have a Donruss set. So um, Donruss came back in 2014, and to me it felt kind of like a cheap downgrade from what it once was from that 2010 set. And that's kind of when I lost interest in the product. And that didn't get any better when they used those ugly brown borders in 2016 and 2017. Now... They moved back to the white borders in 2018, which I preferred, but um, it still wasn't a product that was worth picking up for me. And I didn't bother with Donruss again until March of 2020. Um, and you can kind of figure out the timeline there. That was, you know, I was thrilled to find any basketball. You know, the pandemic had just started. We were driving around. Um, I was actually looking for Optic, found Donruss. And, you know, that's when I grabbed it. And, and it was a fun rip, but um, the context was a little bit different then. So all of that is to say, though, with the exception of the 2010-2011 Donruss set, um, Donruss basketball has always been a, a really underwhelming product to me. And I do feel like 2019-2020 was a step in the right direction. There were some cool inserts. 
There were some actual chase cards in the hobby version. Um, And then that brings us to this month where we had the announcement of the new release. And uh, it looks like the white border's here to stay. The design reminds me a little bit of the 2014 release, so there is some continuity there. And some of the popular inserts are coming back, specifically Nat Marvels and Crunch Time. Um, if this were something I saw in the store, when I say the store, I'm, I'm talking Walmart or Target, um, I would definitely pick it up and open some of it myself. Well, a few days ago, Blowout put their pre-order prices up for Hobby Boxes. And, you know, I wouldn't even know what that amount was had I not seen people talking about it. I never really pre-ordered wax to begin with, but they had Hobby Boxes listed for $1,200. That's not a case price. That's not a typo. It's $1,200. Um, my initial reaction to this, I don't think I was alone. Actually, I know I wasn't because I, I watched on social media. Um, but I, I felt disgusted. And um, I suspected Blowout was behind it. I'm not saying they were. I know it's dangerous to assume. So I'm just talking you through my thought process. So just know, though, my next step was to try and look into things. So I want to be respectful and responsible about this whole thing. But um, this thought process was based on my understanding of how the whole thing works. And there are a lot of variables here. I'm not involved in the process. But the way I understand it is this. In the traditional model, Panini and manufacturers in general are not looking to sell a bunch of wax straight to your local card store. They work through distributors instead. It's easier for them that way. You know, I really don't blame them for that model. I don't think it's perfect, but it seems to have worked on a functional level for some time. So distributors then sell those boxes to shops and online stores for a small markup above the wholesale cost. Um, There's still a pecking order though, and the phrase for that is allocation. If you shop at a really small hobby shop, there's a good chance they won't be allocated much new product at all, if any. It's you know traditionally been based off of spending over the last year. Well, guess what? Blowout and a lot of these big breakers are spending substantially more than your local card shop owner. Anyway, there have been some screenshots circulating um, social media that include the host, the wholesale cost for these Donruss boxes, and I've seen anywhere from eighty to a hundred dollars. That's a pretty big jump from eighty dollars to twelve hundred. So, I ask someone that I know that's um, involved in the process in some capacity. I said, "Do you believe Blowout got these boxes in the hundred dollar range, and they're the ones deciding to raise the price more than ten x?" and This person's answer was, I believe so. And from there, I decided that I needed to know more. So I reached out to people that are involved in distribution, people that own shops, and then people that just know the hobby in general. And a recurring message that um, emerged from these interactions was, don't be so quick to point the finger at blowout just yet. Um, Someone on Twitter then asked if the price increases from Panini or distributors or shops. And there's a card shop owner from Minnesota with the handle um, at Up North Lance that has been very open in sharing his perspective in whatever context he has that might help. So he claimed, I'll say it's a trickle down. Panini is possibly holding back more product to sell on their website at market price. Distributors are doing the same, which in turn means shops get lower allocation and then have to sell their boxes higher. And then he added, we're a small fry compared to most. Um, Now, someone else chimed in, it's coming from demand. And 
Um, I saw several screenshots posted with sealed Donruss sales from StockX. Of course, these are previous years, the last couple years. The idea being that retailers like Blowout might just be starting things off closer to the 2018 and 2019 Donruss ending points. Um, and you know, Lance saw that and he responded, yep, demand, but I'll stand by what I feel I'm seeing alongside that demand. And that makes sense because even if Panini is holding more stuff back, it's because they see the demand and they're aware that people are going to buy straight from them for ridiculous prices. Well, a day or two after I attempted my share of digging here, someone tweeted blowout directly. Um, it was an account called at run good life. And they said, Hey, blowout cards, just curious what your distributor price is on 2020-21 Donruss NBA. Seems like you guys are getting a bad deal if you have to offer it at $1,200 a box to your customers. To which Blowout actually responded, which kind of surprised me. Um, but they said, we don't share distrib distributor pricing. We can share that the amount of the product we are able to obtain prior to release on most, if not all sports products is much less than it has been in prior years. Demand is exponentially greater and continues to increase. And as one of my friends said this morning, it's obviously touching a nerve. And I don't know if it happened before or after this exchange, but the Donruss pre-orders on their website are now listed as out of stock. So anyway, I'm not here to point the finger at anyone. I'm not trying to provide you with information so you can point the finger at anyone. I'm not trying to tell you how to spend your money. My goal is to give you several different perspectives that are out there that you can chew on and then you can use that to influence your own decision making. But I will say this, um, if Blowout, DA and some of these larger retailers are raising the prices on this stuff, you know, there might not be a lot of pushback from local card shops either. Even if they can only get one box and, and make 10x on it or whatever, I, I know some owners would be happy with that. Um, likewise, I think there are some crazy spenders out there that are okay with dropping an entire stimulus check on Donruss, believe it or not. Um, and it's unfortunate because that really affects everyone else. Those of you that um, are newer to the hobby, you probably don't know, but a lot of us used to turn our noses at retail because base cards hadn't blown up. Um, there were little to no hits. The better odds were always in hobby. Retail only became really desirable when hobby products started getting jacked up and, and scooped up. Now, imagine what's going to happen when hobby products become even more expensive and harder to get right from the start. Well, retail is going to become even more impossible. You know, how many days are, are people going to camp out at the card section? Um and, and some of you might think about turning the group breaks to work around this problem. Well, the problem there is if your breaker is buying at these ridiculous costs and passing the cost back to you, that doesn't make things any better. Uh, the product is still being purchased at that ridiculously high price, which, you know, as I've discussed, there might be that demand. But um, in turn, if you're buying into those breaks, they're buying that product, those purchases will then perpetuate the issue at hand. All right. Uh, before I move on to today's main segment, I want to take a moment to tell you a little bit about Fanatics. As you guys know, there are costs that go into running a podcast, so I joined their affiliate program. Whether you're looking for signed memorabilia, one of the popular Phoenix football sets, 
or any form of sports gear, there's a good chance that Fanatics has it. So if you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod and click the Fanatics logo at the top. Shop as planned and the Wax Museum podcast gets a small commission in the process. It's a win-win. Once again, that's www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, um, earlier this week, I was a guest on the Wax Pack Hero podcast. If you haven't checked that out, I, I felt like we had a really fun conversation and it's worth a listen. Um, as part of that conversation, Mike asked me what kinds of things I'm picking up right now. Well, today's Mail Day segment is chocked full of that kind of stuff. It was a great two weeks of mail. And I've been wanting to share this stuff and it's just been piling up, so I'm going to jump right in. The first two packages I want to talk about were gifts from listeners. And, you know, I get a lot of stuff from people. Um, people know I'm a Pacers guy. I'm always very appreciative. Usually I... I you know, I prefer to just thank people on private message. Um, but since this is kind of an extended mail week segment, I figured I'd talk about a couple of them here. So uh, the first one was from a listener named Travis. And he sent me a trio of Victor Oladipo cards. He actually sent them before the whole trade went down. Uh, and I'm glad to have them. I'm not liquidating all of my Pacers Victors cards at this moment. The whole Paul George saga kind of taught me that I need to hang on to them. But uh, the first of these three cards was from the 2018-2019 um, Hoops Road to the Finals insert set. And this particular card recapped Game 6 of the Pacers-Cavs playoff series from 2018. I've referenced the Oladipo trade a couple of times on the last two episodes. I mentioned that the 2017-2018 season was one of my favorite points as a Pacers fan in a long time. Well, even though the Pacers lost that series... It was that series that really sealed the deal. That team wasn't expected to do anything. They ended up taking LeBron to seven games. And I didn't have this card, so it was nice to have a little memento from that time. It helps me narrate Pacers history, and that's what I want my collection to be able to do. The other two Oladipo cards he included were from Obsidian. Um, he mentioned that he remembered me talking about the set many, many episodes ago. In fact, I, I pulled the Luca Obsidian preview from a Chronicles hanger, which I still have, and I, and I really, really like that card. Um, but he sent me these two Oladipos. One of them's an orange parallel. The other one is purple. Victor is wearing the gray jerseys that the Pacers had for a little bit, and both of those parallels match that jersey really well. So once again, thanks, Travis. I really do appreciate that. Um, the next package I want to talk about came from a listener named LB. And a week or two ago, LB sent me a picture of a Ron Artest 2003-2004 Topps Chrome X-Fractor and asked if I needed it. And I have the majority of the 2003 uh, Chrome Ron Artest stuff because they, they didn't have the Super Fractors then. So um, some of them are, are fairly easy to find. I, and I still have the gold from back in the day. I actually didn't sell that one. Um, but I didn't have the X-Fractor, and he was nice enough to send that my way free of charge. And for those of you that maybe are newer to collecting, the X-Fractor pattern is the equivalent of the checkerboard pattern that you'll find in Optic. And for a short time, they had it in Prism as well. 
The naming, though, is going to be different because the phrase refractor is trademarked from Tops and X-Fractors, obviously a variation of that. But um, Tops had been using the phrase X-Fractor since their, um, their, I believe it was a baseball Bowman Chrome set in 2001, even though the pattern was a little bit different then. But um, X-Fractor didn't come to basketball until 2003, and the Tops Chrome version was numbered to 220. It came in a magnetic-like case with a, a top seal over the top. You might hear people use the term uncirculated to describe them. In fact, I'm pretty sure Tops used that terminology on the pack as well uh, because they were inserted one per box in their own pack as a box topper. Um, anyway, I had the Jermaine O'Neal, I had the Jamal Tinsley, I had James Jones, um, and actually I think all three of those are jersey-numbered, just ones I picked up over the years, which is... is pretty spectacular I feel but I didn't have the Ronner test so thanks again to LB for sending that one my way and I need to make sure and get a picture of that on my social media because I don't think I've done that yet okay um, let's get into some eBay purchases we all love eBay right also don't forget if you like to support this show shop through my eBay links um, but the first eBay purchase that I'm going to talk about is a 2009-2010 Topps Chrome Gold Refractor of Danny Granger, numbered to 50. And there's you know, not much of a story behind it in, in the sense that it was just an eBay purchase, but it's a tough card to track down these days, and it allows me to complete my run of Topps Chrome Gold Refractors for Danny Granger. He has four of them. Okay, even though Topps Chrome, you know, his time in Topps Chrome kind of spanned longer than that, he only has four. Um, there's 2005, 2006, which is his rookie year. I actually have the jersey numbered copy of that one. Um, 2006, 2007, which is the rarest of them all, numbered to just 25. Um, if you haven't seen one of those in person, I feel like the 2006 golds kind of pop a little bit more than the others. They don't get talked about a lot. Uh, there were no golds in 2007, and actually no Granger either for some reason. So in the entire 2007-2008 Topps Chrome set, the Pacers only had one player, which was Jermaine O'Neal. Now, just to put that into perspective, the Syracuse Nationals and the St. Louis Hawks had cards in that set. Um, I appreciate a good heritage set, but that's infuriating. So I don't know what Topps was thinking there, but um, anyway... I've got the 2008-2009 Granger. It's got a um, great-looking horizontal picture of him, um, kind of from the backboard looking towards the court. You know, I hear a lot of chatter about the LeBron and the Kobe from that set, but yes, there were other players in there too, and yes, the photography's uh, fantastic. And then finally, this new one, the 2009-2010, which was limited to 50 copies and released as part of the regular Topps uh, run because as I've talked about on this show before, Topps was losing their license they had to get any cards out before the beginning of January 2010. So um, if I have some free time, I'll make sure to take a picture of that little run of golds. I am particularly proud of it. And if there's one pacer that represents the majority of the Topps Chrome Gold era, it's Danny. Okay, um, a couple of weeks ago, I did a mailbag episode and someone asked me to talk about some underappreciated cards. And I mentioned game-dated materials of any kind be it NBA Finals, Court Kings, Stat Line, and so on and so on. Well, this week, I got one of those in. Kind of. This card that I'm going to talk about now is from 2014-2015 Immaculate. 
It is a jumbo laundry tag of Roy Hibbert, number two out of two. And while this isn't an official game-dated set, it doesn't mention the date of use anywhere on the card, but the piece of tag has most of a game date written on it. Quite frankly, you just don't see Panini doing a lot of this with their veteran relics anymore. We get a lot of big tags for rookies because they have just piles and piles of photo shoot jerseys to take them from. But the veteran tags usually get cut up into a bunch of little pieces if they even use them at all. Um, This one, though, is number two because it's literally an entire half of a laundry tag. Um, I haven't been able to find a picture of the other copy yet. But if I could, um, it would let me know for sure what game this is from. Um, You know, you you guys know I like hunting for that kind of information. I think I know what this tag is from, uh, but I can't tell if one of the lines on the date is a one or a slash, so I don't know for sure. So um, I'll throw that up on social media. Make sure to weigh in. Let me know what you think. If nothing else, enjoy a picture of a really cool card. Okay. Um, this package number five. So moving on from one Pacers big man to another, the next card I received in the mail was a 2019, 2020 immaculate RPA of Goga Vitaze. You know, the guy that haunts all your breaks, you know, the seven footer that's throwing a behind the back pass on his prism rookie. Um, the guy that was sitting by himself pre-draft week while Zion was getting swarmed. That guy, Goga. Um, I talked about this set several weeks ago. I mentioned how all the Pacers I'd seen had patch pieces that matched the picture on the card. Um, That's rare. I thought there was a slight chance Panini did that on purpose. After talking to collectors of other teams, it was purely coincidental. Uh, But this card has a nice patch. It has an acetate surface. I like the horizontal orientation way better for RPAs. Overall, it's just a really good-looking card. And it's rarer and way cheaper than a National Treasures RPA. So I think I got this for under $40 shipped. Very, very happy with that card in the mail. All right. Um, Next, number six. um, Looks like a 2016-2017 optic base card of Jeff Teague. But those of you that listened to episode 52 would know better if you saw this card. Um, That was the episode where Evan and I chatted about his top 20 Panini inserts One of them was the Optic Preview set that was packed out in 2016-2017 Donner's Hobby Boxes. Um, I don't think we've ever figured out an official print run for these. I've heard some people project it could be as few as 10. I know there are at least three or four people out there that are attempting this set. Well, one of them was Tom, who was another guest on this show. And he ended up with an extra Teague in a lot. And him and I had talked about that card before. I don't know if we mentioned it on on air or not, but, um, he knew I was very interested. He gave me a fair price. It was easy as that. Um, he also threw in a couple small stacks of Pacers cards. So thanks again, Tom. Uh, now one thing that I really like about optic preview is that the photos are different than the photos that eventually ended up in the 2016, 2017 optic set. And Jeff Teague's card is a press conference photo of him holding up a Jersey Nate McMillan on one side, Larry Bird on the other. Um, I really like press conference cards. And the earliest ones that I can remember would, um, I think it would be Larry Johnson from some of the 96-97 sets, um, his Knicks press conference. 
Um, I'm sure there were others before that, but I started collecting in 95. So that's the one that, that I remember actually coming out in packs. Uh, I think I've, I've seen some Barkley ones too, but when I saw that card uh, or anytime I saw a press conference card, it gave me the impression that it was hot off the press and it felt like I had something special. So Jeff Teague, in this case, Jeff Teague holding his jersey is also reminiscent of the hope that I felt heading into the 2016 season. Uh, there were some rumblings of Paul George leaving then, major rumblings, and the Pacers traded for Jeff Teague. They signed Monte Ellis. Once those guys took the floor, I realized how much I actually hated those moves. Um, I think that was when they signed out Jefferson as well, although I might have my years off. Just I think I might be off a year there. But anyway, that whole that little era felt a little promising at the time. Um, but as I mentioned, standing next to Teague on the card are Larry Bird and Nate McMillan, two guys that were largely responsible for those moves and trying to make them work. So just a, a really cool looking card overall. Now, that brings me to mail day number seven. Believe it or not, that optic preview card wasn't even the nicest Nate McMillan coaching card that I got in this week. Uh, I picked up a 2017-2018 Prism Black Disco 1 of 1 parallel of Nate McMillan, which it also happened to be a PSA 9 holder, which that doesn't mean much of anything to me. But um, I was showing this card to someone earlier this week, and I said, you know, there are some things that I really don't like about this card. And that's not typically how people will introduce cards that uh, they just picked up, you know, that they spent money on and they intentionally went after. But uh, at the same time, there are some qualities that I really like. And I, I guess the good outweighed the bad because I am the owner. So let's start out with the things that I don't like. So the big one would be uh, Nate McMillan. So obviously, I don't know him personally. I've heard a lot from him or read a lot about him over the last four years. And I actually have a friend that um, has worked with uh, or worked for him in a very small role. And he seems like a really good guy. So this is nothing personal, but I'm not a fan of Nate McMillan, the coach. It's a guy that refused to develop young talent. He refused to evolve with the league. Several years ago, when teams started playing zone with more frequency, he was adamant that they wouldn't do that. Um, players didn't seem to like him all that much. Last year, he had seven or eight pretty good three-point shooters, and the Pacers attempted the fewest in the league. They weren't getting to the free throw line. Uh, and this is all about priorities. I could go on and on, but I'll stop there. Um, I know there are people out there that will say, well, maybe it was the players and not the coach. Well, and the Pacers essentially ran it back this year. There were no free agent signings, no first-round picks. It was the same group. Um, and we're like 13 or 14 games in, and the difference is night and day. So not a big Nate fan. Um, the second thing I don't like about this card is the disco pattern on the surface. And now I suppose it's a little more tolerable because this card is black and not fluorescent pink or lime green. Um, we're to the point with these prism rainbows where it looks like half of them were designed by Lisa Frank or looks like you'd have to go to um, Claire's to complete your rainbow. But, um, you know, I don't like the disco effect. I'm more of a chrome traditionalist. Give me the traditional patterns, the cracked ice, checkerboard, those kind of things. Um, anyway, so I don't like disco. I know those are only two things, but you can probably tell I've thought about them a lot. Um, so that all begs the question, what do I actually like about this card? 
Okay, sure. I mean, surely I like it, right? I bought it. Well, first off, it's a card of a coach. We got a lot of coach cards during the junk wax era. That kind of tapered off after 95-96 hoops. Um, in fact, I don't think we saw coaches as part of a mainstream base set again until 2004 tops total. I think that was it. Um, they came back for the 05 release, and then we didn't see them again, as far as I know, until 2012 uh, hoops. Then we didn't see them again until Prism. Uh, in 2017. So, you know, a lot of people at the time didn't like it. Imagine if you only get one silver in your blaster and it's a Luke Walton coach card. Now, if you're my friend Ty, who collects Luke Walton, you're thrilled. Um, But for the rest of the world, you hate it. And, um, but I loved it. And I think it would be a great way for Panini to up production of their prism set without printing it to the moon. So, you know, I have several ideas on how they could do that. And I laid them all out in episode 38. But anyway, the gist of all that was to say coach cards are few and far between. The second thing that I like about this card is that it's a coach one of one. There aren't a lot of coach cards out there. There certainly aren't a lot of coach one of ones. Tops Total had eight printing plates for each coach, which Nate was in that set, by the way, as the Portland coach. But uh, there wasn't a true one-of-one one base parallel. Okay, so all things considered, makes for a great card for a team collector like myself. Yes, I've got a Swirly Disco card in my collection. We have a trade to announce. Uh, okay, well, thank you. So... Uh, You heard that, right? The last piece of mail I'm going to talk about today was actually part of a trade. And I've talked a little before about how I don't do a lot of trading. It's difficult. It's time-consuming. Everyone wants the same five superstars in return. I'd rather just buy cards outright. But um, about three or four weeks ago, I'm scrolling my Instagram feed, and I saw a post that stopped me in my tracks. Um, You might remember that a lot of people were posting Christmas trees made up of cards from their PC. Well, this particular tree was made by a user with the Instagram handle Sky underscore BTC. His real name is Julian. He's actually a listener of this show. And he collects a lot of Hall of Fame stuff. He collects, I believe, Carl Malone, among other things. I remember his tree topper was a, a Kevin Durant chrome rookie. Um, But the trunk of this tree, which, hey, you know, It's the most important part, right? The trunk of this tree was a 2005-2006 Topps Big Game nameplate letter for Fred Jones. That is your dunk champion, Fred Jones. And I was thinking, um, you got to be kidding me. I have scoured the internet looking for these Pacers letters for years now. I mean, I've gone on, I've found personal collections of, of collectors in Japan. I'm, I'm translating websites. I'm trying, you know, I'm using the Wayback Machine. I'm trying to find these cards. It's hard to even find pictures of them, let alone people that actually own them. So I messaged him and said something to the effect of, look, I know this is part of your tree, so that means it's an important card. I realize it's, it's a PC card. If there's any chance you'd be willing to let go of it, I really really want this card. And, um, you know, he's, he said, yeah, you know, I would consider it. And he let me know that he was interested in some vintage rookies to fill out his vintage Hall of Fame collection. Um, I, I had actually just posted a Rick Barry rookie that I was very happy to own. Um, and even though I liked that card, 
you know, he liked it too. And that was part of the trade. It was very replaceable to me. So I was okay with letting go of it. And I have a beat up Rick Barry copy that will hold me over for now. Um, and then after a little, you know, back and forth, we agreed on a deal where I sent him an 86 Fleer Hakeem. Um, I sent him the 71 Topps Barry, and then I sent him a Robert Parrish rookie. Um, so along the way, we got to talking about one another's collection. And overall, it, it was a lot of fun. He was sending this thing from France, so there were a couple of weeks of waiting, but the whole transaction was just incredibly smooth. And um, I, you know, I voiced him earlier. I've had my hesitations about trading in the past, but I am glad that I acquired the card this way. Um, it was so much more enjoyable and fulfilling than buying a card outright, and I feel like I got to know another collector a lot better in the process. So, uh, Julian, thanks again. I hope you enjoy those Hall of Fame rookie cards. It was a pleasure dealing with you. Maybe we'll deal again in the future. Um, I already posted the card on my primary account, but I'll make sure to get that up on the Wax Museum account at some point so everyone can see it. Um, in fact, Julian included a really nice note with the card, and he requested that I take a picture of all of my Topps Big Game Pacers letters together. So I think that's a great idea. I definitely don't mind showing this card off twice. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, you know, it's funny. I came into this week thinking that, you know, at the time I didn't have a lot to cover. Well, then several things happened and, and very fast. So I felt like, uh, or I feel like I covered a lot of ground today between NBA Top Shot, um, Donruss pricing, and then my two weeks worth of mail. So maybe there was something in there that I talked about that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site. This works very similar to the promo that I read earlier, where you can go to www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that. It should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. It's a simple way to support the show. Um, but, you know, let's face it, you guys are already shopping on eBay. If multiple people do that, even for small purchases, it really helps me out. So once again, that's www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store, tag Taco Bell, and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.